You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Good morning, everyone. If we have not met yet, my name is Anthony, and I'm a pastoral resident, as Matt said. Uh, And this morning, we're going to be continuing our series, and we're going to be looking at the carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now, every time I tell someone that this is a carol we're going to be focusing on this morning, their eyes widen, and they get this big smile, and they say, wow, that is such an awesome carol. So I guess the pressure's on. Um, But for our text this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. And if you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles that Matt mentioned, it's on page 807. So growing up, I was in church youth choir. Why anyone let me into any sort of choir at all is truly a mystery. Uh, I have never been able to carry a tune, but I had a good smile and enthusiastic hand gestures. (laughs) And I guess that just mattered much more than my singing ability. Um, And during the Advent season, this carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, was one that we would sing all the time. And so, fair warning, some of those enthusiastic hand gestures may surface as we work through this carol. Uh, But I remember as a kid, as we would sing this carol, I would be so confused. Because this song is just so full of Old Testament images and mentions of national Israel. And we would sing this song during a Christmas play. And then right after we would sing it, there would be this manger scene with this proclamation that Jesus had come, that Emmanuel was here. And I remember being left wondering, well, why are we asking for Emmanuel to come if he already has? What is the point of this carol, and why are we still singing it? And so today we're going to explore that very thing. And we're going to see how this carol celebrates the first coming of Jesus, but it also invites us to long for when he comes again. And so now with that in mind, I'm going to read the first three stanzas of this carol, and you can find those in your, the inserts in your bulletins. O come, O come, Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from the depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory over the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here, and drive away the shades of night, and pierce the clouds, and bring us light. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And so now with the words of this carol ringing fresh in our mind, let's turn our attention to Matthew Chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When Mary, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, 
resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to open your word this morning and to learn from a carol filled with truths that have been sung and recited by saints throughout the centuries. We ask that you open our eyes this morning to your presence with us, that we rejoice in the freedom you have given us, and that our hearts long for your second coming. Amen. And so before really diving into our text or the carol, I want us to help understand the history of this carol and kind of frame out how we're going to explore it. Because this carol has a fairly complex history, and variations of it have been around for a long, long time. Uh, In my research, I came across an article on this carol with the caption, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a dark and delicate carol with a super confusing backstory. But the good news is, there is a Kelly Clarkson version too. (laughs) And so I hope that some of you find consolation in that. So the best that we can tell, this carol is rooted in a poem dating all the way back to the 8th century. It was a call and response poem called The Great O Antiphons that would typically be a part of the evening services for Advent. The poem took different names for the Messiah found in the Old Testament and then expounded on them. And this still comes through today. For example, the second verse refers to the Messiah as the Rod of Jesse a phrase we see in Isaiah 11. And if you're wondering what the rod of Jesse is, we'll get there. But we see it in Isaiah 11, we see it in the second stanza, and then the rest of the verse kind of centers around that idea. And in the poem, there were originally seven stanzas, and the first letter of each formed a reverse acrostic, spelling out the Latin phrase, tomorrow I will be there. And throughout the centuries, this poem was altered by some, fell into and out of fashion. It was eventually put to meter in the 13th century and then translated into English in the 1850s. And so as we explore this carol, we're going to stick with that original design and we're going to highlight just three of the names it used for the Messiah. Uh, This will by no means be exhaustive. There are so many more verses that we could cover, and we will not be forming any sort of acrostic. Um, But with our time this morning, we're going to be focusing on Jesus as Emmanuel, Jesus as the rod of Jesse, and Jesus as the dayspring. And in exploring these names used by the carol, we're going to find comfort in a God who is with us. We're going to delight in a king who has freed us, and we're going to long for the light of Jesus' second coming. And so in our opening stanza, and in the title of the carol itself, we're introduced to Jesus as Emmanuel. And of the three titles we're going to be focusing on today, this may be the most familiar. 
And so we see this term Emmanuel first used by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7 and then picked up on by Matthew in the verses that we read earlier. And in his account of the birth of Jesus, and this begins a common theme that you'll notice that I noticed as a kid is that this carol is just dripping with Old Testament imagery. And it invites us into the longing of national Israel for their Messiah. That there would come this righteous one who would deliver them from foreign bondage, deliver them from foreign oppression, and who would establish an everlasting kingdom. And this longing for a Messiah is most clearly seen in situations where Israel is under some sort of duress or finds himself under oppression or threat of oppression of a foreign nation. And so as we open up to Isaiah chapter 7, we see the king of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, in this vulnerable position where he is being pressured with the threat of foreign invasion. And so unsure of who to trust and and how to handle this situation, he receives a sign from God of a boy being born to a virgin whose name would be Emmanuel, or God with us. And to the king of Judah, this was a sign to trust in God for their salvation alone. And he was the only one who would rescue them, for he was with them. And so centuries later, it is this text, it is this situation that Matthew is pointing us back to as he writes his gospel. And so right there on the outset of Matthew's gospel, we are focused on Jesus as this Emmanuel, as Jesus being God with us, the one who would save his people from their sin. For while the king of Judah, all the way back in Isaiah, was focused on this sign of Emmanuel being a solution to a momentary national issue, a way to escape the threat of foreign invasion, which is understandable. I think that would be all of our mindset if we were in his position. But Matthew is reflecting on this event and taking this event and exponentially raising the stakes because Jesus was not coming to rescue his people from foreign invasion or other national geopolitical threats, but from the threat of sin and death, an alliance that doesn't just wage war on a single nation, on a single people group, but on all of humanity and on all of creation itself. And so just as this carol says, O come and ransom captive Israel, we can join that refrain. We can add our voice to these lyrics. For before Jesus, we were the ones in captivity, captive to sin and death. But the Son of God appeared. And because the Son of God appeared, there is hope. Because Jesus appeared, because he took the form of humanity, because he came to live among us and to die for us, he is the one who can save us. He is our Emmanuel. But even though we have been freed from this captivity, we still feel the pain of this exile. For while Christ has rescued us, We still live in a world wrecked by sin and death and all the heartache and the pain that comes along with it. But friends, do not despair. For while we may be in exile, our exile is anything but lonely. For even in calling Jesus Emmanuel, Matthew is reminding us that God is with us. 
And this is not the only time in Matthew's gospel that we are reminded of this truth. For as we turn to the end of Matthew's gospel, the final words that Jesus uh, says that Matthew records for us is an instruction to go and make disciples of all the nations, and then a promise that in that he is with us always. And so it's no accident that Matthew is bookending his gospel with the nearness of God, because it is something that we often need to be reminded of, and it can so often feel like God is so far off, or that he has forgotten us, and that our mourning is falling on deaf ears. But let this carol and let these scriptures remind us that he is not far, he is near, he is with us. And we can find comfort in a God who is with us. And so along with Emmanuel, if we scroll down to the second stanza of this carol, we see Jesus being referred to as the rod of Jesse. Now this term rod of Jesse probably isn't one that we hear too often. I've seen churches or ministries named Emmanuel. I've seen, I've seen a few named Dayspring. I don't think I've ever heard of one called the Rod of Jesse. But if anyone's here and they wanted to start a fishing ministry, like that, that's what the Lord's laid on your heart. This is your sign. Uh, the Rods of Jesse is there for the taking. And so the reason that this may be some unfamiliar phrasing is because in our modern translations, we translate this as a shoot from the stump of Jesse, which may seem even more confusing, but let me explain. Uh, we see this used again in the book of Isaiah, but this time in chapter 11. And again, we find the nation of Israel in a time of national duress. In this chapter, Isaiah is prophesying the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel to the Assyrians. And this should come as no surprise to us. Uh, we've recently ended our series in First and Second Kings, and we've seen growing tensions between the nation of Israel uh, and, and the surrounding countries. And the particular decline of the northern king of Israel in their worship of God. And so Isaiah, in leading up to chapter 11, speaks of the destruction of both Israel and of Assyria, the nation that would invade Israel. And in both accounts, Isaiah likens this destruction to trees being felled or to an entire forest being consumed. And this is an important image to have kind of rolling around in our minds as the smoke clears from the chapters before and we come to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, where it reads, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. For while the Lord had brought judgment against Israel, against his people, he had not forgotten his promise. For the Lord promised that through the line of Jesse, there would be a king who would provide rest from their enemies and a kingdom that would last forever. And even though all hope had seemed lost, even though there was no tree, there was no branch left from which this king and this everlasting kingdom was likely to come, our attention is drawn to this lonely shoot bursting forth from a stump. And so the New Testament, again, picks up on this imagery, showing in magnificent and beautiful ways that this shoot is Jesus. 
And if we go back to Matthew, we quickly notice that the opening chapter starts with this long genealogy. And while granted, it may not be the most riveting read, and our eyes may glaze over reading so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, a key reason that Matthew includes this is to show that Jesus is in the direct lineage of Jesse. He is this rod. He is the shoot. He is the one who would free his people. He is the one who would institute this everlasting kingdom. And so just as the shoot burst forth from the stump, so did Jesus burst forth from the grave. And as we see a resurrected Jesus in Scripture, we should rejoice knowing that Christ has destroyed the works of Satan, he has conquered death, and he has claimed victory over the grave. And because Christ is victorious, so are we. For the Bible promises that all who call on the name of Jesus share in this victory. That through his life, death, and resurrection, that we who were once subject to death have been made alive and have been promised eternal life. That we who were once slave to sin have been set free from the power of its grip and now through the power of the Holy Spirit can live a joyful life that is pleasing to God. That we who were far off from God, enemies of God, as the scriptures say, have been brought in and made a part of his family. And friends, that gives us so much to rejoice in. And so let us rejoice in this king who has freed us and live in light of the victory that he has given us. And so right now, I would expect that you may be feeling a bit of a tension because I feel it and I felt it all through the preparation of this sermon. That feeling that while we know Christ has freed us, we don't always act or feel very free. Or that while we know he is with us, we read that in his carol, we read it in the text of scripture. We, we know that to be true, but man, sometimes he just feels so far away. Maybe even a tension that you're experiencing right now in this Advent season, a tension that knows that this is a season for celebration and for peace and for joy, but you're having a hard time experiencing anything other than stress and anxiety and pain or maybe even loss. And it is right here in the middle of this tension that the third stanza meets us as it highlights Jesus as the day spring. And again, this may not be a term that we're overly familiar with or that we use all the time, but the idea here is the dawn the sun as it rises in the morning and chases away the darkness. And so friends, while we wrestle with this tension of living in a world overcome to sin and devastated by darkness, we can have hope that the light of Christ has defeated that darkness and that one day he will rid the darkness of sin and death from all of creation, driving away the shades of night. As John says in John chapter 1, he is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so here's where I want to invite us to long for the light of Jesus' second coming, 
to lift our eyes to the future that Christ has secured for all who trust in him. And to let this hope be something that we can hold on to in the middle of our tension, in the middle of our wrestling. To not make the same mistake I did when I was a kid and just to completely miss the anticipation of this carol and the anticipation and longing that should mark all followers of Jesus. And so in an effort to do that, I want to end our time this morning by drawing our attention to the object of that longing with the reading from the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21 as it describes the new heavens and the new earth. And if you are here and you are not a Christian, we are so glad that you have joined us this morning. And so as I read this passage, please consider what Scripture is pointing to as the future hope of all who call on Jesus. And know that through him, you can share in it. And we here desperately desire that you share in it and that you know the hope and peace and joy of the gospel. And we are available and would be honored to have a conversation and help answer any questions that you may have about that. And fellow Christians, hear these words from the final pages of Scripture and know that this is our inheritance secured for us by Jesus. This is what we are promised. This is our future. And let these words of Scripture enliven our longing, knowing that while the darkness still stings, there is hope. Hear now these words from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And so in light of what we just read, as we sing this carol, as we reflect on these truths, let us sing with hopeful anticipation, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and let us rejoice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this hope that we have. Thank you for the lavishness of your grace towards us, calling us to be your people when we have strayed so, so far from you. And we ask that you keep this hope and these truths on the forefront of our minds and that it serves as a North Star in our times of doubt and darkness. And in holding on to this hope, help us to share this hope with others as we long for your return. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.